Hello everyone, my name's Ray. I'm here just to uh, give the uh, Bible reading to us this morning. The Bible reading this morning comes from uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start from verse 1. Uh, so that's Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, I'll just pray for uh, the Bible reading and, and uh, our brother before we, uh, before we start. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, um, yeah, we just pray again for, for your glory to be magnified. Uh, we pray for um, you to help us to listen with, with humble hearts and with obedient hearts to, to your word this morning. Uh, I pray, Father, that you convict us um, of the ways that we've gone astray uh, and just help us to uh, behold your, your grace as, we, um, yeah, as we, we listen to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and, some, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Um, very different. I've been on stage many a times, but it's never the same when you're actually alone and then speaking to everyone that's quiet here. Um, so what did everyone think about the pre-seven questions? I wonder what kind of questions or answers that we might have come across. Um, my story of success uh, starts with cheating. I've never really excelled in sport, I'm particularly bad at cross country. And every year in high school, um, I would come around 200 out of 250 kids. We, our school would spend a good half of the day wasting this, um, and without fail, yeah. Um, I would come out, yeah, 200, 200 out of 250 kids, um, except all except for one year. Because there were so many kids in, that, uh, in my school, um, they would separate all the races by grades. And so one year I raced, or I jumped into the race um, with a grade below me. And so 
um, towards the end of the track, I jumped into the bushes and I hid there. And I waited for about a good portion of my grade to run past and then I jumped back out and then I completed my race. And so, yeah, I wouldn't raise too much suspicion and I came in in a respectable 140. So what does my story have to do with success? Well, I based my uh, success on being better than others. I say a respectable 140, but really no one came after me after the race saying, oh, good job, well done. Um, and there's no mention of a, of a prize. So really, in hindsight, it's actually quite dumb to cheat in a race, only to appear better than others and actually win nothing for it. So what did I have to gain? Well, no one gained anything, whether first or last. No one won a prize. We all went back to class afterwards. And so the only point of the race was to finish the race and complete it. So I wonder if you um, like understood that my poor definition of success had actually affected my actions. And worse yet, it didn't change the outcome. It had me wired to believe that it was important enough to cheat and important enough to be better. But in today's message, from Paul's message, we learn of a race where by finishing it, you actually gain the greatest prize. And he believes it so that it's worth dying and suffering ultimately dying for. But before we get stuck into the chapter three, um, we'll have a quick recap into chapter two, because it sets a really good tone. And it begins with Paul talking about humility, uh, with Jesus being the perfect example. Um, he was ultimately uh, humble to Jesus, uh, or God's um, plan and death on the cross. And then God exalted him to the highest place. And then the week before baptism last week, we had Pastor Matt speak about how Paul gives honor and respect to Timothy and Epaphroditus for being great friends, partners, partners in the gospel, sharing the common faith. And we were left with this challenge. How do we become uh, such friends? And so Paul values the church and the friends he has in Philippi, and he leaves them with this huge warning. This is where we come to chapter 3. And so the chapter 3 begins. Beware of the dogs, the evildoers, the, these mutilators of the flesh. See, Paul had this partnership um, and the common faith that he shared with the, with the church, and it was huge. And he really valued the Philippians, um, and he didn't want them to be steered down the wrong path. And he was concerned of the Jewish teachings and the customs that might lead the church to have, have them second-guessing their faith. And so the particular example that Paul's talking about is circumcision, a physical cutting of the flesh that might be a sign of God's chosen people. Um, and he tells them, don't look at this act as if like this is the sign of being the chosen people. But in fact, you are the circumcision. You are the one. And the very signs that, uh, that you are God's chosen people is because you, the, the love you displayed, the partnering work of the gospel, and these are the signs to the rest of the world that in fact and indeed you are God's chosen people. Paul reassures them, the customs and the, perform the performances and traditions followed by Jews cannot confirm their standing before God. Paul tells them, if anyone knows this, he himself is, is the perfect person. And he lists, and he lists um, why he's um, the perfect model, because he's a Jew and he lists his credentials. See, Paul's Jewish heritage comes from a long line of Jews, from the tribe of Benjamin. And so in church history, we find that um, there was only two out of the 12 tribes that actually tr stayed true to the faith. Um, his entire family tree comes from uh, both sides of Israelites, um, so he wasn't like a convert or anything like that. Um, his entire family trees, uh, his, well, was, well, his family was never once tainted by marriage with Gentiles. He took up circumcision on the eighth day, a special day amongst Jewish customs. 
He was, he was a son of a Pharisee, taught the strictest of the sect, and then grew up as a Pharisee. Um, and he lived in such a way that he was blameless in the eyes of the Jewish law. So he devoted his holiness, about, oh, he was so devoted to holiness that he would persecute anyone to, to make sure that his religion was never watered or tarnished. We saw this in the book of Acts. Paul was the purest of the purebred Jews and he was truly an elite. He thought he really knew God through everything that he did, even with all the credentials perfectly to be seen right before God. Paul now considers it all pointless. It took him to be physically blinded on the road to Damascus for Paul to actually see the invisible God. And so Paul knows that the, intangible, the tangible things that he does or he has actually might be actually gaining more distance or more distance from him from God. So it makes me wonder about where we stand with God. Are there any rituals that we perform? There might, um, might, was there anything that, um, that might lead us to believe that we are the wrong standing with God? Um, are there tangible things that we like to hold on to that we reassure ourselves of our standing with God? Is it that we regularly attend church? Is it that we serve in a ministry? Perhaps there are some credentials that we like to put on our Christian resume um, where we might be, actually move, might be more of a stumbling block for ourselves in a relationship with God. Because ultimately, it's the circumcision of the heart, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that makes us right with God. Paul says, boast in Christ. Why do we do this? Because the willingness to serve, the heart of the gospel work, the love for your fellow brothers and sisters, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is all work done by Christ. Having confidence in all this because God is working in you. See, Paul had put himself in a, as a person that had put uh, all of his confidence in all the things that he had done. He was at the a very prime tippy-top of the Jewish sect, performing all customs and laws, and he had been taught at the earliest age about the very God of his ancestors, of God of Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, and his friends, or his, from, from his parents, sorry. But despite this, Paul actually never really knew God, and nothing compared to his one-on-one experience that he had on the road to Damascus. It, would, it wouldn't have been an easy uh, experience to overcome. He went blind for a number of days. Um, there wasn't like a walking stick that he could use to kind of get him to, around. The text that he had always read wasn't translated into Braille so that he could you know, carry on his um, old way of life. He didn't even know that his blindness would be restored or his eyesight would be restored. But despite all this, he compares that everything he has known as complete garbage to knowing and actually hearing the actual voice of God. So as I prepared this message, I wondered why God had to make Paul blind. Why is it that God didn't make him a quadriplegic? It's kind of one of those things where, you know, the more you lose, the more you appreciate something. So shortly then, it would, wouldn't it become apparent to Paul how powerful God is if he became a quadriplegic? Instead of persecute, uh, when he appreciates life, he would stop to... Um, Stop persecuting Christians. So this is my speculation, right? That God had made Paul blind because of how sinful he saw everyone else. He saw that all the acts that he had performed um, actually made him righteous. But as a result of being blind, he actually uh, he actually saw how metaphorically lost he actually was. So Paul was an outstanding member of the Jewish community. We established this. In some sense, he would, he would have been feared amongst his community, amongst Christians. He didn't lack for much. He would have possibly married to uh, a respectable, um, God-fearing Jewish woman. 
He had a respectable career teaching the laws of Moses. Um, so if anyone was looking for a perfect example of a Jew, Paul was that person. Paul himself knew this. But despite all this, he compares it as complete knowledge to knowing Christ. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to add a couple of words that I feel um, into verses 7 and nine to 9. I'm going to read them out again because I really think that it's going to accentuate the verses um, and the heartfelt motions of um, this passage that Paul speaks. So verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of this passing wealth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Consider them complete and utterly, absolutely useless garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. So Paul considers all these things that he has gained in life as complete and utterly, absolutely useless garbage compared to knowing the all-powerful, loving, intangible God. He doesn't gain righteousness by any tangible means, but by the intangible faith. So how is it that everything is so pale in respect to this? What exactly is that Paul is talking about? What is it that Paul has come to realize that nothing else compares? And we find this in verse 10. I want to know Christ. And that's all that Paul desires. In Paul's earlier life, he would kill anyone to ensure that Jewish teaching would remain true. But how much of it is a 180 now that he actually has known God personally? Through the short yet personal encounter with God, Paul would now lay down his life for God. Forget whether it's rain, hail or shine, chains, stoning or whipping, suffering would only reassure him all the more of knowing God. And in death, his knowledge of Christ would be made complete. Nothing here on earth would physically hold him back. Paul knew nothing but to only carry on his ministry work. He knew the truth and that would lay down his life for it. Nothing, uh, t- not taking the life of another to retain his own salvation, but now giving up t- his own to-, to gain complete knowledge of God. That's how certain God, Paul knew God, looking forward to the final day, so that he can actually finally put a face to that name, the name that spoke life into existence, the name that rings through all history and space, the name that remains true, The very name of Jesus that healed the sick, that struck fear into the evil spirits, that uh, that would stand true for eternity. But the very same name that would come into flesh, walk amongst humanity, and take on our every sin. Paul's greatest desire was to know this God. Bit of nervousness, sorry. See, no amount of prayer or intervention would satisfy him anymore. Paul wants to be homebound with Jesus. And so for me, um, being a parent of two um, very young kids, it's been a rare occasion for me to be able to hold my own wife's hand. Um, So occasionally, like, if you don't understand, it's like you always have to hold the hand of another, you have to push a pram, you have to carry groceries, and it's just something that, you know, you don't get to do. Um, and so when we do, and I get, do get to hold my wife's hand, like we hold like with like intertwined fingers, um, and we look at each other, we're like, oh my gosh, this is like the first time we've held our hands. But I feel like this is the same way I have to resonate with how I want to hold God's hand. 
Thanks. Because I feel like this is the same God. Um, like, I'll, I'll, I'll someday return to heaven. And this is the same hand that I will hold. And it will be the holes in his hands that I'll feel. And the love that, the love that he displayed on the cross for me. So back to the story of cheating on the on uh, cross country, right? How does this all relate? <laughs> Bring it back to the message, right? He's more important, not my tears. The, the issue displayed at the story is that I didn't have a correct understanding of success. At the time, I wanted to be more successful, performing better than the others. I now believe that success is actually based on the criteria of the race, the Christian race. Success is not beating anyone else or coming first. There's no other first. Jesus is first. He was the most humble. And now he's returned. So success um, is actually just based on the race. And anything else is actually just failure. This Christian race ends when our physical ends. And on that day, we will knock on the gates of heaven. We'll be greeted with the greatest prize. And our joy will be made complete. With Christ, we will share in all of his glory, splendor, and majesty. Paul has finished his race, his journey. He ran the race so fast that he wasn't waiting for Jesus to call him home. So this morning, if you're someone that's been uh, tired of serving, if you're re-listening to this message because you've had to serve the people that are sitting in the seats, or you've been, you're serving the kids in Sunday school, if you're feeling beaten by sin, let this be a reminder for you from Paul. Let this be encouragement for you. That the suffering and the participation um, that will be rewarded in full and complete knowledge of God. You won't be left wondering, was this worth it? Is it or any of this is that you missed? Is it, is it better? But have actually gained the greatest prize. You won't be left to, sh- to shame and your joy will be made complete. But again, in my reflection of this message, I don't think I'm in that boat. And if you're like me, perhaps you don't feel that sense of suffering or the endurance of the race or pressing forward like Paul did. I think either perhaps we don't know Christ as well as we should, or perhaps we have either forgotten about the race and the prize at the end. I think that we have taken this race more of like a casual stroll. And I find that in our conversations after church, uh, we're talking about our work, our ambitions, our holiday plans, our family, investments, interest rates, and anything that's coming up in the two to five years. And these topics of conversation come as a reflection of our true nature and our desire. It actually shows that we have a lack of knowledge of God. It shows that our underlying belief is that Jesus won't come back tomorrow, or perhaps in our lifetime. See, all of these things I mentioned just now, they're not bad things, and they're actually quite good in some way. But I'm of the belief that our journey is made far more comfortable than it needs to be. We're holding on to things of the physical and tangible world are far more worth than knowing God. So if I told you that I, told my, that I sold all my possessions, I built a doomsday shelter, and it's going to withstand the second coming of Jesus, and that you should come and follow me, and we'll do the same. We'll, we'll be able to store away generational wealth, and we'll be the greatest people here on earth. You think that I'd be foolish. And yet in reality, we're always trying to build bigger and better barns trying to store away worldly treasures that we can't bring with us to heaven. We're trying to improve our quality of life here on earth, yet do ourselves no justice. 
and yet the greatest and only treasure is set already in heaven. And so we sorely lack a knowledge in knowing God intimately and personally. I know this for myself because I spend um, all my time trying to know God is reduced down to convenient prayers and Bible, in, intermittent Bible readings. It's kind of like a phone call trying to, um, to substitute for what's supposed to be a meaningful relationship. We give ourselves reasons and distract ourselves with the busyness of life. Yet we let the worries of life bring us down instead of giving God control. If we actually knew um, God better and more accurately, would we give it a second thought um, and let it... Uh, if we knew God better and more accurately, would we give it another thought to anything else but the, uh, but the desire to know God better? So in closing, in the same way Paul has Timothy and Epaphroditus as friends, be the same friend in the partnership of the gospel. Ask each other the hard questions and challenge each other. What are things that we like to hold on to too closely instead of striving to know God? Or perhaps another one is, what would it take for God? What what would God have to take away from us to truly see how insufficient or self unrighteous we are? If you're newish and join us here this morning and hearing about this for the first time, ask your friend, ask somebody what this greatest gift is. What is it that this knowledge of Christ is worth dying for? Can you help me figure out this prize? If something has made sense this morning, don't sit on it. Find that gospel friend and chase after it, and not losing sight. And if indeed you're like me, have felt a little lost along the way, don't be afraid to ask for help. Because we're all in this race together, right? No matter where we're placed, like whether towards the back or the end, or towards like we think well, we're going well. Success is not bidding our peers to the finish line. Success is only just completing the race where the greatest prize awaits. So uh, we've come to a time to reflect about what I've shared. Uh, I've got some those same questions that I've just asked. Um, so we'll take a couple of minutes to reflect. We can pray about them um, and see where we stand with God. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things in our life that we'd like to take hold on to, whether they're important or um, that we fear of, uh, but nothing compares to actually knowing God.